Okay. Let's see. I might need a couple volunteers here. Can I do some Joe? Can I pass out a couple? Can I pass out a couple? Can you give one to Pepple? Okay. Okay. You're getting your lesson handout there. see we are on lesson four this evening which is a lesson on focus now we'll say it's actually it was a very interesting lesson preparing it and a very challenging lesson actually um, which they all should be but some are just more than others this one definitely was was to me on this lesson number four is a lesson on focus again thinking about our study as a whole and what it's about, of course, kind of following the life of Peter and his just education as a disciple and just the lessons and how Christ took him from a rough, um, impetuous, that's not the word I'm looking for, but um, outspoken disciple made a lot of mistakes and someone you wouldn't think would end up where he did as a one of the main leaders, of course, in the church in Jerusalem, and one of the, of course, one of the apostles as well. But kind of just following how Jesus took him and lessons that he taught to get him where he ended up, and just the lessons that we that's in it for us today. So the text, our text verses for for this evening, are Matthew fourteen and twenty two to twenty two to thirty three. Let's go ahead and pray before we get started. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here this evening, to be able to um, be in front of the church here and just lead the lesson and as a lesson on focus and just help us to be able to focus on, on the lesson this evening, that it would be a challenging um, one to, to everyone and um, as it was to myself. And um, just please help me to get across what needs to be and um, leave out what doesn't. And just um, pray that your spirit would meet with us this evening and that we just um, would be a challenge and everything to us. And we'd leave um, more determined than we came to, to live for you and to be focused on what's important. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Matthew 14, 22 to 33. So we'll go read those. Um, if you want to go ahead and start, Pastor. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into the mountain, apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, 
Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him, and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst, didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. And then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a Jew thou art the Son of God. Where we place our focus will do much to determine our attitude and our level of success for the Lord. So in this lesson, we're going to see Peter and his fellow disciples going through a storm, familiar story um, to everyone here. And then we also see you know, Peter's unusual step of faith and then the consequences of turning one's focus from the Lord. So some, some goals to think about um, as we're going through this lesson is number one is understand that storms will come in every life and that the Lord has a purpose in those storms. And then third, that we need to choose to focus on the Lord in the midst of that storm. So let's jump right in. Of course, we already read our text verses there. And as Peter quickly learned, following Christ is an adventure. When he began in the Lord's school of discipleship, he had no idea that one of his lessons would include walking on the Sea of Galilee during a storm. A harrowing storm, no doubt. While Peter's walking on the water experiences no famous miracle, it also foreshadows and epitomizes what every Christian must face, and that is the storms and trials of life. Through the storms, we must learn that, as Peter did, to keep our focus on Christ. He's always with us in the midst of the storm. And throughout this passage, Peter changed focus several times, as we'll look at that. It's interesting. You, you, there's several, diff, I think I kind of five, changes of focus in this passage. When he saw the Lord, in the middle of the storm, he began to respond in faith. Later, he allowed fear to intrude, but then renewed his focus on the Lord. And as Peter did, we will experience difficulties in this life. But part of growing as a disciple, requires keeping our focus on the Lord, even when the storms are swirling about us. And in this lesson, let's learn along with Peter the necessity of keeping our eyes on Christ. So point number one, we have the Lord's, it starts with an F. Focus. On faithfulness. Think of what they're getting ready to do, but Jesus already knew that, right? That's the first foresight. Lord's foresight. Peter had just witnessed a meal like no other. If you think about this to the passage, the verses right before what we just read, it's the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus had fed an excess excess of 5,000 people with only five loaves of bread and two fishes. Now imagine the disciples' excitement that day as they recounted the Lord's miracle. Now they're probably talking about it as they're getting in the boat, you know, walk to start doing, going across the sea, you know. The Christian life, however, is not composed of only mountaintop experiences. We rejoice in the high points but we often profit more from the low points, something the disciples were about to learn. Following the miracle, 
Jesus, as it says in, in the passage there, constrained his disciples to leave, pe- to leave people and ministry to sail across the Sea of Galilee. What's his constrained mean? What is Because const- that kind of has the idea of to, to kind of to force, kind of to urge, to tell, kind of to constrain. You know, in other places, um, in the New Testament and other accounts, it has the idea, it says compelled is the word that's used. This wasn't just a casual request. Jesus expressly commanded his disciples to leave this place of blessing immediately and sail over to Bethsaida. And he would join them later. There was, however, an approaching storm. From what we know of Peter, the disciples probably couldn't see it, or else Peter would have brought it to the Lord's attention. But Jesus knew what was coming, and he deliberately sent his friends and closest followers squarely into the middle of it. As always, nothing catches the Lord off guard. And it's really, you think about that, it's I never really thought about it before that way. But no, it really is like our lives, that he deliberately knew it was coming, and he deliberately sent them right into the middle of it. In case they didn't know it. So sub-point A, we have he sent the multitudes, starts with an A, away. He sent the multitudes away. Throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus doing miraculous things and directly afterwards sending people away. Probably several different reasons you can think for that. Mark 6.45. Whoever had those last. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. Often this was because, having met the immediate need, he wanted to continue teaching and mentoring the disciples. For future usefulness. It's interesting. You think about that. Many other times when Jesus healed somebody or fed people and he just would send the people away and then he would discuss it with his disciples afterwards. In Matthew 13, 36, Jesus sent the multitudes away so that he could spend some time explaining his parables to his disciples. In Mark 1, 43 to 44, he sent the healed leper away so he could immediately fulfill the law by showing himself to the priest. No, later in Mark 8, 8 to 10, Christ fed 4,000 people, the feeding of the 4,000. Then he left with his disciples for the region of Dalmanutha. And Luke 8, 38 to 39, after Jesus cast demons out of a man, he sent him away to tell others of his healing, despite the man's request to stay with the Lord. As necessary as ministry to others is, it is equally paramount to set aside time to be alone with the Lord. Our most important relationship. Only in this way can we cultivate our personal walk with Christ and become proper vessels in his hands to carry his love and message to the world. People throughout the Bible experienced special moments with the Lord only by being alone with him. So what are some examples of those that you can think of in Scripture? Okay, so in that situation, what was the result of that? Okay, 
And then would it have ended the same way without it? Probably not. Okay. Anything else? There's a lot of other ones we probably could think of. So what's a... Think of some a, a situation in the Bible that someone experienced a special moment with the Lord only by being alone with Him. And what was the result of that? Yep, that's actually one of the examples in here. Moses. Think of Jacob. Esther. Daniel. How about Elijah? Alone with God at the brook. Only him and a bunch of birds. <laughs> Miraculously, he was supplied food by the ravens. Yeah, I think all the other ones here have a, well, Joseph. Think of Joseph in prison. So in this story, Christ himself took time in the middle of all that he did for others to be alone with his father. Matthew fourteen twenty three. I don't think that's on your page there, so I'll read that. It says, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. I think that's the text verse there. And then Mark six forty six to 47. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when evening was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone was alone. Oh, this wasn't the only time the Lord did this. Christ communed alone with the Father throughout the Gospels. Mark 1, 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into the solitary place and there prayed. Luke 6, 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. As we spend time alone with God, we are promised that the results will be made public. Matthew 6, 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. The disciples were aboard ship, calmly obeying Jesus' command. But they were soon to learn that being in the Lord's will doesn't promise smooth sailing. So on to subpoint B is he sent the disciples into the starts with an S storm. <laughs> As the disciples sailed across the Sea of Galilee, an ominous storm approached. As they battled the wind and waves, what was running through their minds? After all, Jesus had sent them on this trip, knowing there'd be a storm, and they were obeying, right? They were doing what was right. You know, one of the hardest things for believers to understand is that we can be in the center of God's will and still be in the center of a storm. We often wonder during a trial, what am I doing wrong? The answer may well be nothing. The great hymn writer Isaac Watts understood this well when he penned the words to, Am I a soldier? 
of the cross. As the song's words depict, wholeheartedly following the Lord guarantees trials and persecutions. I think this is verses 2 and 3 of that song. Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? 2 Timothy 3.12 Peter 4.12-16 An old proverb says, smooth seas do not make skillful sailors. When we face a storm, the Lord may be sending them into our lives to grow us. He hasn't forsaken us. God knows where we're going and has a plan for the path he sets us on. Job 23:10. But he knoweth the way that I take, and he hath tried me. I shall come forth as gold. And then I don't think these verses are in your uh, are in your hand out there. Psalm 139, 1 through 10. And I'll uh, read those here. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and thou art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. it sounds like right under Romans 11. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the seas of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. When, not if, the storms of life occur, realize there is always a purpose in it. We sometimes naively think that you know, once we're saved and decide to serve the Lord, our trials will end and there will be nothing but our definition, but our definition of blessings. Several Bible biographies prove this is not the case. Think of Abraham, Moses, Joseph, Daniel, Apostle Paul. Their lives were anything but smooth. Yet God worked mightily in and through them. While they were sometimes beaten and broken, 
they found blessing in the trials. One of the great heroes of the faith, the Apostle Paul, lived a difficult life, personally and professionally. In 2 Corinthians, he gives his personal testimony. In 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in laborers, more abundant in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. These five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beat with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day have I been in the In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in thirst and often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things, hour without, that which cometh upon the day, be careful, church of all the churches. And then chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. Lest they should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan that buffeted me, lest they should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord Christ, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, and in reproaches, and necessities, and persecutions, and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because he persevered, God used him. Even after his death, his testimony of faith and the portions of Scripture that he wrote are still greatly used of God. At the end of his life, he could say this in 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. For I am now ready to be offered at the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. In 1899, Theodore Roosevelt delivered a speech entitled, The Strenuous Life. And this is a, a quote from it. It says, I wish to preach not the doctrine of ignoble ease, but the doctrine of the strenuous life. The life of toil and effort, of labor and strife, to preach that highest form of success which comes, not to the man who desires mere easy peace, but to the man who does not shrink from danger, from hardship, or from bitter toil, and who out of these wins the splendid ultimate triumph. Roosevelt spoke from personal experience. He had been a sickly, asthmatic boy, but through personal determination, became a vigorous outdoorsman, a skillful politician, and a statesman, and one of our greatest presidents. His likeness appears on Mount Rushmore in honor of his part in making America a world power. Roosevelt achieved success, but it did not come easily. As believers, a victorious Christian life is often marked by trials and hardships. Peter was an experienced fisherman. Enduring storms went with the profession. 
But this was a storm unlike any he had experienced. And he believed he was about to lose his life. But that day, as the disciples battled the angry waves, they were drawn to something strange on the horizon. And they knew this would be a storm they would not soon forget. Which brings us to point two. Is Peter, starts with an F. That is correct. Peter's focus. We are all focused on something. Whether it's a short-range focus, like our daily to-do list, or a long-range one of something on something truly important, our attention is aimed at things we look at and things that matter to us. This is where we invest our time, our talent, and treasure. In other words, this is a very interesting quote, what consumes your mind controls your life. Interesting thought. What consumes your mind controls your life. Matthew 6, 21. From sports, hobbies, and occupations to whatever catches our eye, the world clamors and competes for our attention. But amid all the distractions, it is vital to keep our eyes on Jesus. 1 John 2, 15-17. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, it is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. God promises to guide us as we keep our focus on him. Psalm 32, verse 8. While God, it's a very interesting verse there. While God wants to guide us with his eyes, if we do not seek the face of God, we will not see the eyes of God. In the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, the author Helen Howorth Lemmel urged, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. She based this on Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus, our perfect example, was focused on the things of his Father, and his word urges us to follow his example. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed with angry minds, and compassed about, when so great a cloud of witnesses, To Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. But consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be weary and faint in your minds. So, sub point A is he focused on the, starts with an L. Lord, that's correct. He focused on the Lord. Peter's focus changed multiple times throughout this experience, kind of alluded to that at the beginning. In the midst of the storm, Peter and the other disciples at first focused on their fear, much as we can be tempted to do. 
The disciples were no doubt terrified of losing their ship or even drowning. And suddenly, heightening their fear, they saw what they thought was a spirit, perhaps foreshadowing their fate, (laughs) approaching them through the waves. These seasoned fishermen began to cry out in fear. Then Peter and the rest of the disciples' focus changed completely as a familiar voice broke through the storm. Be of good cheer, Jesus reassured them. It is I. Be not afraid. God doesn't want us to be fearful. John fourteen twenty seven. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, and as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It's interesting, so if you think about it so far, getting in the boat and going across, that's, is that fear or faith? It's faith, right? Storm coming up and then the reaction to it. Fear. Okay. Peter, ever the first to speak up, asked Christ if he could come to him on the water. Is that fear or faith? Faith. Okay. So you see where we're at so far. We've changed focus three times, right? He realized safety was with the Savior, not with the ship, and believed he also could walk on the water as he saw his Lord doing. While the other disciples suffered through the wind and the waves, Peter was about to answer a higher call. Regardless of the storms we face as a believer, the Lord is always there. He will never leave us or forsake us. Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isaiah 41, 17. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. So sub-point B is he focused on the something and something. Let's start with W. In the waves. He focused on the wind and waves. After this tremendous step of faith to leave the supposed security of the ship and to walk to Jesus in the midst of the heaving waves... Peter underwent an unfortunate change of focus. His attention had been completely on the Savior, but now he was looking only on his surroundings. No one naturally enjoys life's storms. We would like our lives to be smooth and easy, with everything working out just as we plan. We need to remind ourselves, however, that often these storms are being used to shape us to be what God would have us to be. Two of the United States' most famous landmarks are the Grand Canyon in Arizona and the Badlands in South Dakota. Every year, millions of tourists marvel at their immense size and breathtaking views. Their beauty, however, was shaped by harsh and violent forces of water and weather. Without going through the storms, they would never be the awe-inspiring places of beauty that we enjoy today. Consider Joseph. He suffered as a son. His brothers envied him, hated him, and sold him into slavery. He suffered as a servant in Potiphar's house. He was tempted, falsely accused, thrown into prison. He suffered as a prisoner. He helped others, and they forgot about him. God used these storms in Joseph's life to prepare him 
to be the prime minister of Egypt and ultimately save his family and the Jewish people. James admonishes us to count it joy when we go through difficult times. James 1-2, just verse 2 so far. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. In other words, rejoice when you're being put to the test. That's not natural or easy. But if you remember that God is bringing you, is bringing spiritual maturity in your life through them, it will affect your attitude as you weather those storms. Then verses 3 and 4. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work, and may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Hebrews 12, 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. It cannot be stated too many times. God knows exactly what he's doing, and we just need to trust him. Which brings us to point three. We have the disciples, starts with an F. Faith. Faith. Yep. The disciples' faith. Peter had first stepped out in faith, and he had floundered in misplaced focus. Now we see that he again places his sight on and his faith in, the one person who has the power to rescue him from his peril. Not only was Jesus Christ the one who could save Peter's soul, but he also had the power to save him from the waves. Our Savior has the ability to meet and overcome any threat that comes against us. Romans 8, 31. What shall we then say to these things? Why before us, who could be against us? Subpoint A, Peter was, starts with an R, Don't overthink it too much. Not rebuked. Think of the act. He's... Don't overthink it too much. He, Peter, was... That's right. Starts with an R. Think of the act. Another word, <laughs> rescued. <laughs> rescued. Peter had taken his eyes off Christ and began to sink. Doing the only thing he knew to do, he reached to Christ for help. Lord, Peter cried out, save me. In response, Jesus immediately reached out. All that was necessary to have Jesus' saving hand was to simply ask for help. When we find ourselves in a storm or a trial, do we simply cry out to the Lord for help? Psalm 34, 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. James 4, 2. You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. You fight in the war, yet you have not, because you ask not. Matthew 21, 22. In all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believe it, ye shall receive it. Peter knew that the wind and the waves were more than he could handle. Likewise, when we come to the end of ourselves, we are most prone to call out to the Lord for help. 
that's exactly what the Lord sometimes allows us to get to that point of helplessness. Sadly, he won't hear much from us otherwise. A roofer on the job suddenly lost his footing and began sliding helplessly toward the edge of the roof. In a panic, he cried, Help, Lord! Immediately, his belt loop caught on a nail. Recovering his balance, he said, Okay, thanks, Lord. I can make it on my own now. Isn't it a shame that many Christians only get serious about prayer when they're in trouble and can't make it on their own? Matthew states that Jesus caught Peter. If you see in our, in our text verses there, I think it's in verse um, 31. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. Although he was in the water during a storm, he was safe. Likewise, when we are in the hand of God, we will never be dropped or pried loose. In him, we are truly secure. John 10, 28 to 29. Uh, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Romans 8, 38 to 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As Peter learned, true deliverance, freedom, and life can only come from the Lord Jesus Christ. John eight thirty six. The Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. So subpoint B, the disciples were starts with an R. Yep, the disciples were relieved. The moment Jesus entered the boat, the storm ended. In fact, if you can remember to John's gospel that we kind of looked at previously, John says they reached their destination immediately. It's kind of interesting thinking about that. The presence of the Lord, the presence of the Lord changed everything. Just a few moments before, the disciples feared not only the storm, but also the appearance of what they believed was a spirit. Once they recognized that what they thought was an apparition was actually Jesus and were close to him again, they were no longer afraid. Their focus had shifted and they learned afresh that if they would follow the Lord's direction, they would safely reach their destination. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's up there, by the way. Whoever's next can go ahead and read this. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not unto thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thee. The disciples had just seen Jesus walk on water and command a storm to stop. As these realities sank in, they experienced an about face. Which brings us to our last subpoint tonight. The disciples were, also starts with an R. Not, not that word. Not that one. More of their attitude toward Christ. What was that? Reverent, that is correct. The disciples were reverent. 
after seeing the miracles of Jesus of Peter, after seeing the miracle of Peter walking on the water, again, you think about the other disciples are watching this, and Christ rescuing him from death, the disciples were changed. Matthew states that they worshipped him and called him the Son of God. It's interesting. Um, if you think about it, this is not the first storm that Jesus has calmed. Actually, the first one is actually back in Matthew chapter 8 when Jesus is actually in the boat with them and he's sleeping. And Master cares thou not that we perish, and that's when he stood up and rebuked it. So this is actually the second storm that they're in by this time. But this is the first time the Gospels say the disciples actually worshipped Jesus. In the past, they had loved and respected him. But after this, they knew who he really was. On the ship, they worshipped him as he deserved. Strong's Dictionary translates worshipped as no meaning to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand, to fawn or crouch to, that is, literally or figuratively, to prostrate oneself in homage, and to do reverence, to adore, do reverence to, to adore. There is a genuine fervency as the disciples bowed to their Lord and Master. It's a wonderful thing to see people impacted and changed when they see Christ as he truly is. We ought to be challenged when we see people saved from the penalty of sin. We ought to be amazed when we see lives changed. Because we know who Jesus is, we ought to be inspired to worship our Savior as he deserves. John 4, 23 to 24. I don't remember who it was, probably. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is the spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And 1 Timothy 1, 17. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, with honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Worshiping the Lord is demonstrated throughout the Bible. Paul and Silas were beaten and arrested, yet even in their dark prison cell, worshiped through singing and prayer in Acts 16, 22-25. In another passage, a woman guilty of many sins began to humbly, humbly wash Jesus' feet with her hair and an expensive box of ointment. She worshiped the Lord through true devotion, Luke 6, that's Luke 6, 37-50. In the story of the widow with the two mites, this impoverished woman worshipped Jesus through sacrificial giving. Mark 12, 41-44. When the Lord tested Abraham's faith by asking him to sacrifice his only son Isaac, Abraham was willing to obey. He worshipped the Lord through his obedience. Genesis 22, 9-13. So in conclusion, while this was just one day in Peter's discipleship education, his focus shifted from fear to faith several times. Again, getting back to getting in the boat and going across the sea was what? Faith? Faith? The storm coming. Fear. Reaching out to Jesus, asking him to, asking to tell me to come. Faith. Sinking. Crying out for the Lord for help. You see, five times, you see, and just in this passage, his focus kind of shifting in there. But it ends in the right direction, doesn't it? You know, often we like to know, 
you know, to, no bash Peter for falling down in the waves, you know, because he's looking all around us. But who is the only one that stepped out and asked to go? Now, our lesson began with Peter focused on Christ, coming off the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. Hours later, however, he soon he found himself in the center of a storm, and his focus shifted to his surroundings. But when he saw the Lord, his eyes turned back to Christ. Then when he joined Jesus on the water, his gaze slipped to the crashing waves and howling wind around him. As he began to sink, he focused back on Christ, and the Lord rescued him. Peter learned the only way to keep from sinking was to focus on Christ. As we reflect on Peter's life, we see the importance of maintaining our focus on our Lord. We must realize that when we take our eyes off Jesus because of fear or temptation, our direction will follow our gaze. It's an interesting way. Our direction follows our gaze. And we will also move away from Christ. The inverse is also true. When we keep our focus on Jesus, our direction will follow our gaze and we'll move toward him in faith. There will most assuredly be storms in our lives, but sometimes God sends us into the storms. When he does, he always has a purpose and he will always be with us. So it's an interesting lesson tonight, again, kind of seeing some things personally I'd never kind of seen or thought about before in the lesson. But any other thoughts that uh, anybody had? Anything that stood out to you in particular tonight? Anything? Not everybody at once. And it's interesting thinking about that is so like us, so like me. No, he's going the right direction, then he goes off, then he gets back on, then he goes back off again, but then he gets back. It's not like, it's not perfection. It's not, no, like storybook, no fairy tale ones. You're always looking right, perfect, you know, the whole time. It's interesting, even thinking about it, Peter also got off again later in times, not just in the Gospels, but even later in like the book of Acts and Galatians and stuff like that. But it's the direction. They always got back. I think it talks about in Proverbs, you no, know, a just man falls seven times, but he gets back up again kind of thing. So, no, so I guess for me personally, something that stood out, just that never really thought about that before. Just Jesus didn't just let him sink, said, oh, you didn't do it right. I'm going to get somebody else. But he just kept working with them and using them. Think about that. How many times did he ever walk on the water before that? <laughs> Probably none. <laughs> How many times did he walk on the water after that? Probably none. <laughs> Interesting. Anything else from anybody or any other thoughts? Just, yeah, how important it is to uh, 
Anything else? Anybody else? Yes, Joel. <laughs> Anything? Anything else from anybody? Any other thoughts? Or? Yeah, our lesson, lesson number five that we're going to next week is a lesson on priorities. So, another one. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I do thank you for, for the lesson this evening. And just thank you for thank you for the author who put this these lessons together and just particularly this one, just the challenge that it's that it is, that it was to me, and I hope that it was to everyone else as well. But it's a challenge on on focus of when we get our eyes off of you, our direction follows our gaze. And and thinking of Peter again, he did a lot of things right in this, in our lesson. You know, we really like to bash him and talk about what he did wrong, but he really did more things right than he did wrong in this lesson. And it's help us, again, it's our direction, not a perfection. Help us to, again, keep our focus on you, to keep moving there, and there, that our focus and our direction follows our gaze. And it help us to, you know, as was mentioned, just to have that alone time with you, that we can refocus our focus on what really matters in the right direction. So turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And just help us to all to just be dedicated to doing that um, and then see the results of that in our life. Pray that you keep us safe as we go back to our homes. Bring us back again on Wednesday. In Jesus' name, amen.